But now that fund can fund that gap for 10, 20, 30 years. And so what, so what you're doing is you're basically creating a version of infinite investing where you're not pulling money out of your pocket. You're making your house do the work for you. And that is how you're creating more growth. Look, we all know investing in the U.S. real estate can be incredibly rewarding, but it can be pretty overwhelming if you're just getting started. In this podcast, we will turn you through the stories of successful real estate investors. Most of them were just once in our shoes, starting with zero investing experience, working at a W-2 job, or even coming from a different country. And yet, they have managed to build wealth and freedom through real estate. My goal here is to equip you with the right mindset, strategies, and expectations so you can navigate the landscape of real estate investing with confidence. Welcome to the First Gen Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Wong. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the First Gen Real Estate Podcast. In this episode, we are going to be talking about what it means to be a first-gen investor and what are the common fears that we as first-time investors usually experience when going into the real estate game and how we can utilize the equities in our home to make further investments and grow our wealth. In today's episode, our guest is the president of First Gen Foundations, a firm dedicated to educate real estate investors as a uh, new investment vehicle. And they and him and his uh, team were able to grow their portfolio over 8 million asset under management over a short period of time. Welcome to the show, Brian Escudero. How are you doing, Brian? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Austin. All good. Awesome. So why don't we get started? Just uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you? How did you get started in real estate? Okay, so um, so I've been in media for a really long time, um, longer than I'd like to say on a podcast, no, but over 20 years. And so um, I took a long route, right? So I was doing well in media um, due to just some circumstances with, uh, with some family health. I had to kind of start and stop school and I never finished. Um, and then, and then I was finally able to kind of drill down and, and get my bachelor's degree a couple of years ago. So when I was done, you know, it, it became like, all right, well, all right, Lord, what's next, right? Is it going to be a master's degree or real estate? And, uh, you know, in my mind, the master's degree was about $50,000 and about three years real estate. I figured that with $50,000 and about six months, I can figure out if I'm going to waste my time and everyone else's while I'm doing it. And so, um, you know, I started educating myself. I took a deep dive, you know, got into bigger pockets, read about 30 books within a few months. Um, and then, you know, just uh, took an exploratory trip out to Tennessee. You know, my goal last year was to buy uh, one duplex. And uh, what we ended up doing was uh, getting into 55 doors. The reason we did that was the more I did it, the more I learned, um, I realized what an important and, and what an accessible vehicle real estate was. For people like me, you know, people that have had moderate success uh, in the W-2, been able to kind of get some savings going. Um, and, and it was an opportunity to really, uh, you know, move the needle in, in what is net worth and cash flow for my family. And then, um, you know, my, my partner, who is also my brother, we were kind of doing things in parallel. And it became like, hey, we can really help people, uh, you know, by, by educating them in this. And as we started doing that, you know, people started saying, hey, how can we invest with you? And that kind of supercharged what we were doing. Um, and so, you know, we're not a year old. We'll be a year old in about a month. Um, 
and you know we're closing on another deal in the next few weeks so you know that those numbers will change soon as far as doors and and assets under management um you know we're bringing on other products to 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 help people and so our goal maintains the same it's educate grow give it's educate the first gen investor to grow their investments so that they can give to the charities and people that are important to them i love that so when i mentioned short period of time i think that one year time frame is definitely a short period of time when it comes to real estate investing so i would love to you know dive deep a little bit on that time frame so let's begin from the very first deal about the duplex that you have bought what was that experience like with your very first real estate deal so um so like i mentioned i, I took a trip to middle tennessee and that was, you know, I have a, a good buddy of mine that's a, a real estate agent out there. Um, and, you know, I went there for a few days just to kind of understand. So I live in South Florida. Everything's really expensive. And understanding, you know, the 1% rule, you know, just trying to quickly uh, be able to analyze properties. Um, I knew that Miami was going to be difficult because everything here is very inflated. And I kind of, you know, I'm not saying never, but right now I don't want to add to the madness in Miami. And so uh, there's a high barrier of entry, but I, I also just feel bad for like young people that are trying to get started. Like they, you can't afford a house here. So I didn't really want to add to that. So we went to Tennessee um, and, you know, it's, it's a lower barrier of entry. It's a landlord friendly state. You know, I, I've been doing market research. It wasn't just because I knew the guy there. Um, and, and we walked a couple of properties and I created my, my first error was trying to make a good deal great. So it was this little duplex, you know, it was, I think it was on the market for like $120,000 or $130,000. And I was like, let's offer $100,000. let us you know, let us get it for eighty five dollars or whatever it was. And so, you know, that one I didn't get. And, you know, I was bummed out. But then I realized, I'm like, you know what? You could have offered asking and you would have been fine. You would have made, you would have made money. You would have gotten on base. I was trying to make it a home run. Um, but, you know, came back, you know, dusted myself off. And then I just continued to look at different places. And so... Uh, there was a duplex that I saw. It was on the market for one hundred and twelve thousand uh, dollars in in Milan, Tennessee. Right, this is a little little city called Jackson. It's, it's a couple hours away from Nashville, and it was just kind of a a, a vanilla investment. Right, it wasn't going to break the bank. It was it wasn't going to be super profitable, um, but it was just you need to do the thing, right? And and that's really where the first gen investor gets stuck sometimes. It's just the fear of taking that step or the next first step. So we bought it, right? We bought it for, I'm um, sorry, it was on the market for 116. We bought it for 112. It was appraised at 118. So we already had some equity there. Um, you know, we had some, a long-term tenant on one side. One side was, was, uh, was vacant. So we quickly got someone in there. Um, and it's been a good property for us. You know, when that first tenant left, the one that was originally, he destroyed, I mean, it was, so, so again, life lessons, right? Um, we had to put some money into it. But not 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 crazy amounts. Um, again, it's just a little duplex there. But while I was looking, while I was closing that one, I'm going over the appraisals. I see another duplex, you know, 15 minutes away, that I had seen on the market for $108,000, um, and we were able to put an offer on that. So within a month, we bought the second duplex um, because because now again, I shook the fear off. Like I go, hey, this is a thing we can do. Right, we can close on a couple of properties and get them going. And so I look at those two as the beginning, right? It was, it was the one in Milan, the one in Brown. Um, and you know, they're, they're rented and they're doing well, right? I'm, I'm getting good cash flow from them. I have one investor with me on one of those properties. They're super happy because they're getting their just steady returns. They're boring, steady returns. That's what they're getting. And so, 
Um, that's what I like about real estate. Like you can make it as exciting or as boring as you want. And, and, and we wanted the first ones to be boring. And for these boring real estate, did you buy them all cash or did you have to go into using uh, with bank loans? Yeah, so I went in on, on, uh, on Brown. I have uh, a loan with a very, uh, just a small uh, little bank, um, a, local, a local bank. And uh, they were great, you know, very easy. And then with, uh, with Mylin, uh, I went with, uh, with a national lender, a little bit more cumbersome, right? Um, and again, that was the first one. So it was a little frustrating, um, but you know, we got through it. And, and again, it's just getting all those documents together, you know, all that stuff. So the second one was easier. Um, I was able to get a cheaper loan on the second one. So, um, so I learned, I learned how to do something more efficiently. And it's interesting speaking with, you know, one of our investors, this was before they invested with us, just having that conversation. I said, oh, and I found out a $2,000 way cheaper of doing the same thing on the second one. And they're like, man, you see, uh, I, I would, I would just like be killing myself over those $2,000. And I, and I said something, I said, that's because you love money. And they're like, whoa, what do you mean? And I said, you're willing to forego the benefit of the second property because of what you didn't learn on the first one. And so when we're talking about creating generational foundations, you know, it, you're saying, I'm not willing to give my kid, my grandkid or whatever, this property because of $2,000, you're holding on to it. And so, and they had the money to spend, right? And it's not, these people are not, you know, it's just, they're hanging on to it. And so that love of, of money or that fear of losing it, um, it really like locks a lot of the first gen investors. And, and our goal is to help them understand, hey, that's just a fear. And we can push back against fear with, with education, with knowledge, you know, and, and people have different, different ways of dealing with it. But our goal is to just say, hey, this is something that we can do. I'm not smarter than most people. I'm not, I'm certainly not dumber, but I'm not smarter than most people. So if I can understand it, if I can take some time, and really just kind of get into the nitty gritty of it. And we like to walk people through it. And, and that's, that's been a message that's been well received. I love that. And so from these two duplex, what have happened afterwards? How have you scaled it from there? Okay, so, so like I said, uh, my partner was kind of going in parallel. So from there, um, I wanted to get out of, out of a low appreciating market, right? So that, that little city doesn't appreciate well, it's just better for cash flow. And so, uh, just, you know, again, going into, to bigger pockets and, and, you know, going on to, uh, just different, uh, IRS and government websites, understanding what markets are doing well. Columbus, Ohio popped up a lot. Right. And so, um, I went, I found, you know, I interviewed a bunch of realtors and, and property managers and, um, we found this six unit in Columbus, Ohio, just right outside of downtown in, in a great little neighborhood. And so, um, I had a couple of investors that wanted to get into something a little bit bigger. And so we went and we, you know, we, we met with these people um, online. I, I, I hadn't seen any of the first two. To this day, I still haven't seen those first two duplexes. I haven't seen them. I haven't been there. Yeah. So, um, so we invested there. And then the, the place next door was also for sale. It was a little shack. If you guys looked up on LinkedIn, I had, I had done a before and after. That little shack, I can't believe we bought it. It, it. it looked really messed up, but we fixed it up and we have a renter coming in, which we're really excited about. But what does that mean? That means now we own half of a city block, right? And so the goal is to then buy the second half of that city block. And in about you know four to five years, we'll tear everything down and build multifamily. And that's how we're changing generations, right? 
And so, um, you know, I can let that fear stop me. I had never done that before. I haven't done that before. Um, and the reality is, you know, in my life, in, in my W2 life, you know, in, in, in my, my personal life, um, I have been able to make decisions with imperfect information. And that kind of sets us apart a little bit. Some people just kind of get stuck. You get the paralysis by analysis. And so, so we were doing that. And my partner at that point was, he bought a duplex and a triplex all in the Columbus area. And we like Columbus because Intel is building a $25 billion factory on the Northeast corridor. And so, um, you know, there's just massive opportunities there. There's a lot of industry going there. Wow. So you mentioned something about when you bought these properties, some of them you haven't even seen, you haven't even visited. Yeah. So what was that process like? Because that to, for first time investors, that sounds pretty scary. And yeah. even for me, I'm like, wait, like, am I really comfortable investing outside of state, never visiting them? What would happen if, you know, something that's going to break or some tenant having problem that I have to go there? What were your preparations going into it? So, so I go into, you know, uh, there's a story of what's the first, you know, people ask, what's the first thing you did in real estate? And mine was read a book, right? I read a book by David Green, uh, the book on long distance real estate investing. Again, I knew I wasn't going to be able to invest in Miami or I wasn't going to, I was going to choose to not invest in Miami, right? Um, and so it was, you find a team, right? You find a, a good real estate agent, you find a good property manager, you find lending, you know, and, and, and you can, you can build that team. And so I had gone to Tennessee, I had interviewed a few property managers. And then, I, then when I got back, I started making some phone calls and, you know, I have a list of, of questions that I ask each of them, and, um, you know, just understanding their process and communication and, you know, what my expect, what the expectation is from me and what my expectation is for them. And so in my W2, you know, I deal with a lot of remote teams, right? People that I don't necessarily see all the time. And so I have some comfort level with that. Um, again, accountability process, you know, uh, we utilize technology. And so, so I was okay with that. Now, um, you know, there are lessons learned in that. Um, the Tennessee properties, again, they're boring. They're, they're, they're fine. Um, but, you know, if I had to do it all again, would I, have a, would I have done it as fast? I think so. I think I might have just, um, on some of the Columbus properties, there's one in particular, um, we might have just taken a second look at it. And I think that we would have still purchased it, though we would have been, we would have done a little bit more eyes wide open. And so, um, but, you know, those are lessons learned and we continue to push through. So, so what that did is, okay, so now we bought these uh, between my partner and myself, we bought these six properties. Now we hit September, September, October, and the interest rates are starting to go up, right? Aggressive. And so, again, just able, the ability to pivot and to understand that, hey, the world is not burning. Um, but we, had, we now had committed investors. So we have soft commitments of several hundred thousand dollars. And we don't want them to miss out on bonus depreciation, you know, on all these, these amazing tax incentives that come with, with real estate. So, um, so I was part of, I, I am, I'm part of a, a, a mastermind called Race Masters, and I was at one of the, the, um, the conferences. And, um, and so I'm sitting there and I'm learning about syndications. I had never heard about them before, which is where you get a group of people to buy an apartment complex. And I'm like, hmm, that's probably what we're going to have to do because uh, of the economies of scale, right? So um, th it's just much more favorable for for the investor. Um, and so, you know, our goal again, educate, grow, give. It's not about, for us, it's, it, it, the first thing is not grow, it's educate. And the first thing for us is our investor's money, it's not ours. And so we make less money in syndications, right? And if anyone that does syndications, you know, 
I mean, it's a long lead time, right? You're not making any significant amount of money until a, a refi or the, 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 the selling of the property. Yep. And so we were like, okay, but that's cool. Like that's what we want. We want to get people into these, these, uh, these good deals. So, um, met someone, you know, ended up being a code GP on a 40 unit, uh, at the end of December. Um, and then when we got into that one, we took over capital management. So the CapEx projects are ours and we were really, really able to tighten up things that were a little loose to help the investors, to help the team. And then that pulled us up. So one of the key principles there really liked the way we work. And then they invited us to join them on another syndication. And so, you know, that's kind of where we are. We, we want to be known as the guys that do well in operations, right? Because the best way to raise capital is to do your job, right? Give people the returns that they're expecting. And so that's, that's really, you know, how we've grown. Wow. What a journey. So in this growth process, I want to shift gear to this one thing that, uh, that we have talked about offline earlier, which is the using the equity in the home to further increase your investments. Can you shed some light on what that really means? What is the concept of that? Yeah. So, so in, in the United States, most people's net worth, the majority of it is in their homes, right? Um, and, and that makes out with, you know, if someone might have a 401k that has a couple hundred thousand dollars you know, that they've been putting into it for 10 or 15 years, depending on how much they're putting it, their home has probably appreciated at least that in that time, if they've been there any significant amount of time. So we're in South Florida, again, the, the, the home prices have skyrocketed. And so you have a lot of equity in, in these homes. And so even for me, you know, I was able to take out a, a line of equity, a HELOC, a home equity line of credit. Um, and just take some money and buy properties. Now what happens? Those properties make enough. And, and again, you want to do the analysis. Those properties make enough to pay that loan down. But what am I gaining? So the properties are paying that loan down. Plus I'm making appreciation. And I get a little bit on, on the top of that. So I get some cash flow. I get appreciation. And really all that is happening without me having to come out of my pocket. Right? Because again, the, the fund is being, the, the funds that I'm taking out are being serviced by the, by the asset. So when we talk about, you know, we've written an article on this, uh, on, on your home being uh, a liability, the reality is if I stop paying my mortgage, they're going to kick me out of my house and I lose all my equity, right? So um, so we said, and this is not new, right? This is just something that we're trying to to, to help people understand that, that there's an opportunity there, right? Now, you don't want to take out a, a HELOC on your home for $200,000 and go on vacations and buy cars and all that stuff. That's not what it's about. What it's about is, realizing that there's a gap, right? So you have your mortgage here and your house is worth this much. This gap is called equity. And, and you can find lenders that'll give you 70 or 80% of that. So you take this chunk and you can go invest that. Again, you want to make sure that you're covering your gap. And we've actually developed a model to help people understand what that looks like. Now, that model services people that can, uh, that they have longer lead time. So when you're getting into a syndication, you're not getting your distributions in a month or two. You're waiting six, nine months, maybe a year. And again, each business plan is different, but you want to be able to, to, to fill in that gap. And so this HELOC model tells you, and again, for round numbers, you have $500,000 in equity. If you took $250,000 and you invested there and you leave $250,000 to service that gap, right? So you're going to have a payment. You're going to have a monthly payment. You can service that with, with that debt fund that you're creating at a percentage. Um, you can service that loan for X time. So let's just say that in six months, you're getting your distributions. That gap is no longer as big as it was because you had zero money coming in. 
when you start getting distributions, now you get some money coming in and that gap goes like this. It's much smaller. You're still pulling from that same debt fund, that same 250 that you left in the bank. But now that fund can fund that gap for 10, 20, 30 years. And so, so, what, so what you're doing is you're basically creating a version of infinite investing where you're not pulling money out of your pocket. You're making your house do the work for you. And that is how you're creating more growth. And I want to I wanna make sure that I understand this correctly. So let's say that with the 500K um, equity in my home, and you said that you, you would split it into two different funds, like two. Uh, no, one no. So what you would do is you would have two uses of it. So again, so let's just say $500,000 for a round number. Yep. And I'll say, let's say $200,000 so we can separate a little bit easier. So there's $200,000 that you would invest. And again, this is on a deal by deal basis. $200,000 that you would invest. And you have $300,000 sitting in equity still in your house. You're going to, the, the deal that you're getting into does not give you money right away. Right? So let's say that right. your $200,000 that you took out, you have to pay $2,000 a month for. Yep. Yep. Right. So Austin is not going to go into his pocket to pull those $2,000 a month. He's going to start taking it out of here. Right. So every year you're pulling $2,000 out of the top every, every month. Sorry. So then six months, seven months in, you're going to start getting returns on this $200,000. And let's say that those returns are 1500 bucks a month. There's still a gap of $500. Okay. Yep. yep. So now that $300,000 over the first six months, you paid $2,000 each month. You took $12,000, but you still have. $288,000 in that fund to now pay $500 a month for that gap. So here's where it gets good. The project cycle is three or five years, right? So you will be getting distributions and then the disposition of that property will give you profits. So the typical syndication can give you 1.7, 1.8, 1.92x, right? There's just kind of, they fluctuate in that, in that range. So, we just did a deal where someone was getting a 1.7, a 1.7 X in three years. Okay. Through that model, they were able to get their loan at 8%, the, the line of equity at 8%. They didn't pull any money out of their pocket, but they did that. And their, their equity multiple is now 1.32. It's not 1.7 because you have to service the debt. There's money has, you have to pay for this money, but now they're making off of an investment of a few hundred thousand dollars. They're making an extra hundred and change with zero dollars out of their pocket. Okay. So at a high level, let's say that we are using this 500,000 uh, equity, but realistically, we're only pulling out a portion of it, let's say 200K to yep. make the investment. And because we're pulling in the 200K, now we have to pay back that 200K because it's a, basically a loan that we take out against Correct. the house. Correct. And the way that we're paying down this loan is using the rest of the available equities in the home. Correct. And because the way that syndication works, it's usually a three to five year hold. So during that holding period, you are, we are basically, we're still making an investment in syndication and that total investment, let's say is 20% rate of return and we're still going to be making we're not going to be making the entire uh 20% rate of return because it is an equity that we pulled out that we have to pay the basically the cost of Correct. having that equity out and yes. that would make 
for example, inst instead of making the 20% rate of return, I would be making 10 to 15%. Yeah. Okay. So you're basically leveraging what equity that you already have with a lower cost of capital. Correct. That you can use it in somewhere that gives you a much higher return over Correct. the next year. And, and so you're, you're arbitraging that, that loan. Right. You're, you're saying I'm going at 8% and yeah. I'm making, you know, 17 on it, or let's say 18. Just gotcha. so, you're, so now you're creating 10% out of thin air because you didn't go into your savings account and pull out $100,000. Correct. Because you have that equity sitting there, but it doesn't really do anything for you at the moment. So right. you're making it, making more efficient use of the capital that is available to you. Correct. In you, in, again, in your net worth, right? Because that is your net worth. You bought the house at 100 and now it's worth 600. You've paid it down. You have you know, a few hundred thousand dollars in there. You can either leave it there or you can arbitrage it. A lot of people do this with their rental properties, right? So there's, there's something called equity stripping where I know that if I have a rental property and my rental property, and again, just for round numbers, is worth $500,000 and I've paid my mortgage is now $300,000 or, you know, $100,000. If I have a tenant that stubs their toe and they say, hmm, how much does this guy owe? Well, he only, he only owes $100,000. This property is worth five hundred. I can come at him for four hundred. Well, if I strip the equity on that and I take that equity and I move it out, then this guy only has $100,000 that he can come after or $50,000, whatever it is. It's not worth the time. The lawyer's not going to want to do that because there's not enough meat on that bone. And so equity stripping is something that people do a lot. This is not a new concept. This, so for us, you know, if people reach out to us, we sit down and we model out deals for them. And we say, hey, this is kind of where you'd be. And, and, and our recommendation is always to have two times the length. So if you're in a three-year deal, you want that debt service to cover you for at least six. Why? Because you get to year three, the market's not great. Let's wait six months. Let's wait a year. You got four years. We're fine. Five years. You'd be tough. I mean, if you're doubling your, the, the hold, you're, you're in a bad spot. So, you know, people that have done it, you know, it's a three-year hold. We're giving them 12 or 13 years of, of, of the ability to, to fund that gap. I think there are two points that you just mentioned, Brian, that is extremely important to emphasize. Number one is that in order for this strategy to work, you definitely want to leave some room, especially yeah. in environments yeah. where you feel like, you know, you, you want to have some cushions so that you don't over leverage yourself and end up in a situation that you are basically squeezed and with your cash flow situation. Okay. And number two, which I think is very interesting because this is like a kind of an invisible benefit when it comes to protecting yourself from a legal perspective, because we know that investing in real estate, especially being an active landlord, it can be a pretty, like, it's a pretty litigious industry if you think about yeah. it. And yeah. something happens with the tenant and if they decided to sue you, how are you going to protect yourself? And by having debt on your equity, you're actually just being shown when lawyers look you, look you up, be like, hey, how much is this guy worth? Is If this guy is worth a ton of money, then I'm going to sue him, right? Yep. And by having that debt working for you, on paper, your net worth is actually lower than, it's actually just basically lower because of the debt that you have. So yes. you're basically more protected and less prone to be sued, to be going after the equity that you have. Correct. You, you understood it 100%. Awesome.
Thank you so much, Brian. And I do want to make sure that there's a way that people can reach out to you because the way that you explained the uh, the model of using the home equity, I think there's like some very nuanced knowledge there that people should understand. So do you have something like that, that where people can see and how see how that works? Where can people reach out to you? Yeah, so they can reach out to us on firstgenfoundations.com, right? So it's on the bottom of the screen, firstgenfoundations.com. Um, pretty active on LinkedIn and Instagram. And so, the, again, the thought is that we want to walk you through that. We don't want people to feel like they're alone. That's the reality of it. And first-gen investors, you know, I'm not the prettiest face, but I'm a face. And people like to see a face, right? And, uh, and you know, there's a lot of back-end work that goes into the model. It's very simple at the end of it. Uh, it does help to, to just kind of see it walk through. And so um, we're working on maybe putting it on the website, but we don't want people to... to uh, to misinterpret what it says, right? We're very conservative and we don't want someone to say, oh, it's a five-year hold. I can fund it for seven years. Two years is not a big deal. No, no, no. We want to tell you, hey, if it's a five-year hold, you should be able to fund it for 10 years, 11 or 12, right? And we have, we have triggers. So, you know, if you're under, if, if you're at, at a certain level, you know, your cell will turn red and they'll say, hey, warning, warning, you might want to think twice about this. At the end of the day, it's your money. But, you know, the idea is we want, we want to do this as a benefit, not as a detriment to a person. So firstgenfoundations.com, Brian Escudero on LinkedIn, First Gen, at First Gen Foundations on Instagram, and our website. Uh, again, it has, it has a bunch of articles and you can contact us and some downloadable stuff there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian, for dropping knowledge and I will see you guys in the next one. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone who you know would find value. I would be so grateful if you can subscribe and leave a review. Make sure you join us for the next one.